Well, good morning. Before we get started today with the message, I want to take a moment to introduce to you what we're doing and who's speaking today. Every year in the month of July, we take a little pause in our rhythm of what we're doing as a church, and and we take a couple weeks to go through a series we call The Best Sermon Ever. And it's a lot of weight on the people who are going to be speaking because here's what we ask of them. We ask them to show up every week and give us the best sermon that they have, the thing that God's put on their heart, that they're most passionate about, that they believe uh, God has most powerfully for us. And this week, to start off Best Sermon Ever Series 2020, we're beginning with a guy named Alex Diaz. Alex Diaz is a teaching pastor at a church in Little Rock, Arkansas called Mosaic that's often considered one of the more influential churches in America. And so I'm so excited for what Alex has to say. I I love him as a man and I love his heart as a devoted follower of Jesus and a gifted communicator. So I'm excited to hear what he has to say to us today. And with that, whether you're watching a house party in your home, in your car, uh, wherever you are, Let's welcome Alex Diaz to the stage. Good morning, wake up, wake. Good morning, wake up, wake. Good morning, wake up, wake. Wake up, wake. Wake up and get yourself to church, Hello, MCC. My name is Alex Diaz. I'm one of the pastors at Mosaic Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. We send you our love and prayers. It's been such a joy to connect with Pastor Sean over the last few weeks. I hope you are covering him, his family, and the leadership of your church in prayer as well. I want to tell you a little bit about myself. I'm at a church that's multi-ethnic. What that means is that it's a family of people from different backgrounds, people who are diverse, who get together to worship Jesus together as one. And just like you, we've had to adjust our modality from meeting physically to meeting digitally. And if you are a little tired of doing that, I want to encourage you and let you know you are fulfilling the great commission of Jesus. So keep going, whether you have to do it through a screen or not. I myself uh, come from Venezuela, and I am in a multi-ethnic family. My wife Erin and I have two little kids, three and six years old. And we have one on the way, so we are preparing ourselves by not sleeping a lot at night. But we're very excited about that. Today I want to talk to you about mission. It's a word that excites me. It's a word that gives me joy. And it's a word that gets thrown around carelessly in our culture. And we're going to be in the book of Ephesians chapter 3. In this message that I've entitled, The Gift of an extraordinary mission. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for allowing us to connect digitally. Use me as your vessel and instrument to speak your word. May we be able to focus on the message and not on the messenger. May we be able to focus on you, Jesus. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, we all have a mission in life, whether your mission is to fulfill whatever you desire your mission would be self, or maybe your mission is to grow a business, or perhaps your mission is a political idea, we all have a mission, whether you realize that or not. And I want you to struggle with that question a little bit throughout this week. 
What is my mission? Is your mission something that reflects your heart or the heart of God? And not only that, I want us to realize that the world is competing for the mission of your life. Everything that is sold and presented to you is competing to have the purpose that your life can be about. This is why we see companies with huge slogans and mission statements that they want to fulfill or bring to fruition. It happened in October of 2012, Red Bull decided to send a pilot called Felix Baumgartner to the stratosphere for him to accomplish their slogan or their mission, which is Red Bull gives you wings. And the most incredible way that they found to do that was to send this man in a capsule to perform the highest jump that has been performed on the planet. Thankfully, he did well. He was able to land back in New Mexico in one piece. But there was something they didn't accomplish. They still didn't accomplish the mission of giving us wings. And some people picked up on that. In fact, Red Bull got sued over it and they had to pay because they were not able to give people wings. They accomplished something extraordinary, but it wasn't necessarily the mission that they were selling. And so many times because we are confused with what mission our life should be about, because there's so much competition for that place in our lives, we need God to clarify that for us, especially during a time like this. Now, the mission of the world sometimes is to, is to divide us. Sometimes the mission of the world is to accuse or label us because that is one of the best ways that they can get to break the unity between believers. In fact, division is one of the ways this world can use to break unity anywhere and everywhere. So if you've ever been compartmentalized, if you've ever been labeled, I want you to know that I myself have been there too. A few years ago, my wife and I got the opportunity to go on a cruise in the Caribbean. And if you've ever gone on a cruise, you know that what they offer is formal dinners throughout the journey. And so we dressed up on this particular night and sat down to eat an amazing dinner at this wonderful restaurant in the middle of the ocean. I was wearing a white buttoned up shirt and a black coat. And all of a sudden I noticed the head server come in my direction. He looks at me sitting with this gorgeous woman who is my wife. And he stops in his tracks, yells at me, what are you doing? Get back to the kitchen. You see, at that point I was being labeled because sometimes we label people by the way that they look. And I feel that the world can give us that mission if we let it. But I don't think that is the strategy that we should have because the strategy of the world is to divide and conquer but the strategy of Jesus is to unite and reclaim. You have an extraordinary mission. It's the mission of Jesus Christ. And this passage that we're about to read in Ephesians, it's about this mission. And this is what it says, Ephesians chapter three, verse three, and then we will jump to verse six. The apostle Paul says, as I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. There is a mystery that we have been holding for millennia and he's revealing it 
in this moment. And so I'm about to tell you what it is. He continues in verse six by saying, this is God's plan. This is that gift unwrapped. This is this mystery revealed that both Gentiles and Jews who believe in the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. Now, most of us are probably Gentiles. In other words, we're not Jewish. And sometimes we gloss over chapters like this one because we don't identify with either one of those backgrounds. I myself, I don't have a Jewish background. And so many times I've looked over this passage and I've jumped over it because I didn't really understand that the principle behind it is in fact timeless. The principle that Paul is showing us is that this mystery that is the love of God through his son, Jesus, is something that can be given to both uh, people groups that at the time were far away from God, one that thought they had the entitlement to receive the love of God and one that thought they didn't or couldn't receive the love of God. However, for some of us, that, that may not have an emotional connection. So let me make an emotional connection for you, if you would allow me, which is this. What if we were to read that same verse in this way? This is God's plan that both Democrats and Republicans who believe in the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Or maybe we should read it this way, that both African-Americans and whites who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Or that both rich and poor, Asian or Hispanic, that all who believe the good news can receive this love of Jesus. See, so many times I've looked at that chapter and I've thought that it really was speaking about the blessings that God was going to give me personally and me alone, rather than this idea that two people groups are actually allowed to come together to receive this kind of love. It's what I call those people. We all have those people in our lives, people that for one reason or another, we've been taught that they ought to live and worship and do life wherever else other than in our space. And it's a phenomenon that happens not just in the U.S., but it also happens in other parts of the world. You see, the reason Paul was sharing this principle with the Ephesian church is because this congregation, they were receiving the gospel in a gift that was unwrapped, and they needed to open it up and unwrap it. A few months ago, my in-laws gave my children a wonderful present. It's a present that I've been wanting for a long time. It was a telescope. So when they pulled it out of the car and brought it into the house, we opened up the box and I started putting together this telescope because I'd never had one in my house. And I put it together and I was so ready to show my children the moon that I was able to see through the telescope. But they were inside the house playing with the box and had no interest in what was inside whatsoever. Well, I was kind of expecting that because there is immaturity in little children. They don't necessarily know that what's inside of a box is what's expensive and what counts. My children at the moment didn't really know that what was inside that box was going to be used for them to see beyond the stars. And the same thing can happen with the church. 
If we are not able to see that the dividing walls are torn down, that we're only receiving the gospel in gift form, not knowing that opening its full greatness will allow us to see beyond what we can see. To see a church and to see and understand God in a way that we never thought before. And so I think this chapter can break this down for us. And I want to go to verse 8 so that we can begin drawing some of these principles and hopefully apply them to our lives. In verse 8, Paul says, though I am the least deserving of all God's people, I hope you feel the same way. And I'm not trying to give you any sort of guilt, but just the fact that we do not deserve anything from God, yet he gives it to us because of Jesus. Paul is saying, I am the least deserving of all of God's people. I have been a persecutor of, of Christians. I have been a murderer. I have been a, a, a legalistic religious leader. I have been, I have been, I have been. He is very clear that he is not deserving. And I feel like I could relate to that phrase. He continues to say, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. See, he's saying, I've been given the gift of an extraordinary mission. And your extraordinary mission, just like Paul's, is the greater privilege of counterintuitive unity under Christ. It's what I want to call unifying purpose. And I have a definition for you. Unifying purpose is to lead a fundamental shift from unconscious compartmentalization to extraordinary community. See, sometimes we compartmentalize subconsciously because we've been taught to do that. But there is an extraordinary unity and community that we can have as a purpose that Paul is actually teaching us in Ephesians chapter 3. Because the strategy of the world, the strategy of the enemy, is to divide and conquer. The strategy of Jesus is to unite and reclaim this unifying purpose can show you something greater and something that you have never seen before in your church, in your community, and in your life. I remember when I realized this, I was in the city of uh, Caracas in Venezuela, which is on the northern side of South America. And about 20 years ago, political unrest uh, began to intensify. And I remember that we went through a time very similar to what we're going through this year with COVID-19, except that it wasn't because of a pandemic, it was because of political unrest. And so, one December, everything shut down. There was no more school, there was no more work to go to, restaurants closed, and for the next four to five mon months, there was military presence out in the streets. My family felt this in a heavy way. My father lost his business. My mother and my brother had to emigrate to a neighboring country so that their family, their relatives could take care of them and we could take care of ourselves. It was a very, very difficult time. But the one thing that didn't stop during that, that time was the church. Ministry didn't stop. Now, just so you understand more about my background, my city is a city of about seven to eight million people crammed in the space of about 14 to 15 miles. We all lived on top of each other in buildings and 
even though the space is small, transportation takes a long time from side to side. And this divides the city in pockets of different people with different backgrounds, especially socioeconomically. All that to say, my church was on the east side of the city and we did not cross into the west side of the city. But around the time of this strike, there were people from the west side that started to come and commute to the east side. It would take them one to two hours via subways and buses to get to our little church in the middle of the east side in that city. And so because ministry needs intensified, we saw ourselves as leaders needing to cross from the east side to the west side to minister to those people. Because I was so young, my parents didn't want to let me do that. But my pastors actually needed help in leading some groups on the west side. And so they asked me to please go to the west side and lead a couple of these groups. And so I started to commute a couple of hours uh, throughout the week, a couple of times to lead these groups, thinking that I was the one that was going to minister to those people. But every time I went, I found that they were rich in so many other ways. In fact, because my father had lost his business and my family was going through such upheaval, we were in just as much need. But these people over on the west side, though I thought initially that were different than me because of a socioeconomic divide, they began to fulfill my family's needs. And if we needed gas, they would give us gasoline for our car, which was a huge feat because it would take eight hours for people to get gasoline for their vehicles. Sometimes they would feed me and they would send me home with food, which we couldn't find at the time because of the situation that we were going through. Perhaps you're relating with that right now with what's going on with the, with the crisis worldwide. And even though there are differences, the one thing that I saw at the moment is that not only did ministry continue, not only did the church rise in the midst of that crisis, but also there was a wall that I had in my mind that had to be torn down so that I would be not only be able to minister to those people, but be ministered by those people. I, I, I found a different kind of love. I was given so much in the course of those months that I made it part of my life's mission to see that walls that are built between people groups are torn down because there is so much beauty when you have a unifying purpose. And this unity was so counterintuitive. Intuitive. I had friends that would tell me, why are you crossing to the west side when we live on the east side? And the reason was the love of Jesus. And I started to realize that I needed to pursue that beyond what people wanted me to do or not do. In fact, in that verse that we were just reading, I love a phrase because it says, the Apostle Paul tells us that all of this is about the endless treasures available to all these people. The endless treasures. That sometimes we may keep the treasure of the gospel and we make it finite because it only fits our box or our portion of society or of our community. But he's saying this wall is torn down between Jew, Jew and Gentile, between black and white, between Asian and Hispanic, between poor or rich, so that we can understand and receive the endless treasures available in Christ. Have you ever stopped to wonder about that phrase? 
The only way that I can, that I can describe it to you is by remembering that a few years ago, I didn't really know what endless fries meant. When I lived in South America, we didn't have restaurants that would give you endless fries. And then I moved to the U.S. and I went to a couple of restaurants that I will not mention to you to, give, to not give you ideas because they will add to your burden. But those restaurants offer endless fries. And I remember traveling back to South America and telling my friends, yo, there's this place that gives you endless fries. You can go and just pay the one meal and stay there all afternoon and eat until your heart's content because it's endless. <laughs> I hope you don't do that with those restaurants. That's what took me from a size 30 in my pants to a size 38. But really, what if we were to look about the endless treasures in Christ in the same way? What if we were to know that the treasures that he gives us, his salvation, his love, his blessings, his, his abundant life, everything that he wants to pour on us and through us is endless. And I'm not trying to sell something that is purely financial to you. I'm not talking to you in that way. God has a blessing to pour on you and through you that only he knows that you will receive. But in any way or in any situation, those endless blessings come with a purpose, a unifying purpose. Your blessings are a sermon for somebody else's life. And they're not a sermon about how amazing we are. They are a testament to God's love for us. We keep reading in verse 10 of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. There's another version of this verse that says, it's to show his manifold wisdom. And in the original language, that word manifold was also a word that was used to describe a multicolored robe. See, I think there's no coincidence to that. I think God is showing us through this verse that there is a rich diversity, a rich variety in the wisdom that we receive from God that can display his love to others in the same way. That's why the way that I want us to remember this aspect of our mission is that our mission is to seek and display God's love in plurality. Because if you were to display his manifold wisdom, his, his diverse love on you in the same way that he is, you're able to display it in plurality. But you won't be able to do it if it's only on preference. See, I think preference is one of the things that holds us back in the church. And I think the church's kryptonite is not, all, not only sin, but also preference. Because preference can take our attention away from purpose. The purpose of displaying this manifold kind of love and wisdom to the world. And so what should we do in order to experience that? Well, first of all, some of us need to learn that we have to sacrifice preference in order to reach that purpose. Some of us need to understand that we need to put away our preference so that people who are different than us can actually know this love that comes from God. Those of us who are parents, especially of little ones, 
We put aside our preferences all the time so that our little ones can be brought up in a way that is filled with love. Hopefully that is the case for you if you are parents. If you are parents of teenagers, maybe you're already way too tired of that, but you've been doing it for decades. If you are empty nesters, then you probably remember doing that as well. And if you've never ever had kids, you have also put away a preference in order to allow for others to know what you want them to know or experience. So it's not necessarily something we never do. It's just something that we're not used to doing in the church. You see, some of us need to understand that that sacrifice will allow other people to be a part of our family, our community, our churches and congregations, so that they can know the love of God. And it takes a lot of humility to be able to do that. It's what we call in our church accommodation rather than assimilation. Some of us need to understand that we need to make room for other people to be able to know God from where they are and through their own eyes rather than our own. And the reason is knowing God takes more than one set of eyes. Sometimes we think that we can establish a relationship with Jesus and that by ourselves we'll know the totality of God's God's personality and character. But it takes many of us together to know him and to know his riches, his endless riches. It takes sometimes for us to see through the eyes of other cultures. Sometimes we need to understand that through those people. Going back to the story that I told you about my time in South America during that difficult strike, when those people began to minister to me, one of the things that I learned about God was that in the midst of a crisis, we can have faith that he will provide for us in whatever way he sees fit. You see, I was putting my trust on resources rather than putting my trust on our Savior. These people that I thought were different than me actually had a greater faith than me, and I learned that through them, and every time I would complain about the things my family was going through, they would minister to me and show me that God could use that for His glory and for other people to know His name and His love. In fact, sometimes it's through the experience of other people that we can see and, and put together what really salvation is that Jesus died for our sins on the cross and that he came back on the third day defeating death for us. And if you've been in the church for a long time, that story begins to become a myth and in your life until somebody else shows up and through their perhaps painful story, you're able to understand that this is not a myth. This is not a story. Jesus did die for you. This is real. This is his story. This is fact. And it's proven and observed fact that he died for you and conquered death for you. And we can know that in a much greater way when we are able to worship him and display his love in plurality. We keep reading in verses 12 and 13. It says, starts with these three words that I love, because of Christ. I hope you have many aspects of your life that the only way that you can explain to people is because of Christ. So many people have been asking us, how is Mosaic Church making it through this 
pandemic. And we are experiencing difficult times, but, but God has blessed our church in the middle of that. And the only answer is to say, because of Christ, is that we're able to, to continue that ministry. In fact, we've experienced it in our own lives as a family. We couldn't have children. We're about to have three. We waited 10 years to have a child. And then in the middle of a process of an adoption, we had just begun all the paperwork is when we realized that we were expecting our first child. Why? Because of Christ. There's so many things that we can begin that way. And Paul begins this portion by saying this, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Because of him, we can approach the Father and we can do that with any kind of shame or any kind of guilt because he died on the cross. We can come before him and be able to call him Father. And so because of that, he says, please don't lose heart because of my trials here. The Ephesian church, the people in Ephesus, where they were worrying and concerned about the fact that Paul was... The Paul was facing trials and persecution. And Paul is saying, don't lose heart. Don't get depressed over it. Don't, don't lose your courage over that. He says, I am suffering for you so that you should feel honored. But all of this is wrapped in the fact that he can suffer for the church because of Christ, because of his presence in Paul's life. Now, these events happened to over 2,000 years ago, but right now, events are happening in your life and in my life and in the lives of many other believers around the country. And we may lose heart. We may get sad or depressed over what is going on. And so these words apply to us today. They are timeless. Don't lose heart because of the trials that you're experiencing. Because if we are suffering, we are doing that for a purpose. And we can only do that if we have God's presence in our lives. In fact, if we allow God's presence to power up our extraordinary mission, and that is the presence of God in our lives through his Holy Spirit, because only his presence can lead us forward. If we have his presence in our lives, in other words, if we are constantly seeking him, then we will be able to make our lives into a sermon that will be much better than any sermon that I can deliver or send your way. Your life, when powered up by the presence of God, can display this manifold, extraordinary mission to so many others. And you will be able to put aside preference over purpose. You will be able to accommodate rather than assimilate. You will be able to show this kind of love boldly to other people. And so the question is the same one as, as the one that I asked at the beginning of this teaching. What is your mission? What do you want your mission to be? Don't let the this current situation, the current crisis, take away from your mission because you, if you're a believer, if you have said yes to Jesus, if you've given your life to him and, and have shown it and displayed it in baptism, then you have said yes to this extraordinary mission. And ever since Jesus came to this earth over 2,000 years ago, that extraordinary mission has not been stopped by anything or anyone. In fact, Historically, times of crisis, times of persecution tend to bring an acceleration and a boost 
of the power of the Holy Spirit to the church. There's not been one time in the last 2,000 years when there's not been the presence of believers anywhere in the planet. Nothing has stopped the church. Obstacles have come. And perhaps believers like today have thought this will slow us down. But in reality, when we have his presence and his Holy Spirit, we can be propelled forward in this extraordinary mission that is a gift that he gives us. This is the mission that we have here at Mosaic Church, by the way. It's the mission of walking, working, worshiping God together as one. And it's everything except easy. It is not easy to gather with people from different cultures and be able to experience and, and seek God from all those different points of views and references. But God has used that to put a church that is uniting people who are different in a city that has a history of division and a region of this country that has a history of persecution of those who are minorities. Yet in the midst of this city, there is this community that is gathering people who are completely different from each other. How can that be? It's because of this extraordinary mission that he has given all of us. And it's a gift that can inform every aspect of your life and can make you an agent of unifying purpose. With a unity that is countercultural, with the love that is manifold, with the wisdom that is rich and wide and so big that it can and will allow other people in your family, in your community, in your church, and in your region to know who your God is, a God who died on the cross for your sins and my sins. And so the challenge for us today is, let's stop wondering about our mission. This world is competing for that space in our lives. And let's begin by saying, I, this is my mission. I have the gift of an extraordinary mission, which is unifying purpose is to bring unity so that people can know Jesus regardless of where they come from. I will use my life, my existence, my family, my community, my church in order to achieve that. I will finish with this. I'm young enough to remember my parents watching Mission Impossible. Believe it or not. I know that I look very young, but I'm actually a little older than I look. I actually have seen also the recent Mission Impossible movies and I love them. And there's, of course, a phrase that I love about those movies that you probably have heard as well, which is your mission, should you choose to accept it, is. Well, church, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to display the manifold wisdom and love of Jesus, is to display this unifying purpose in a way that will let others know who your God is through any element of your life, regardless of the circumstances? Do you choose to accept that? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this time that I get to spend with MCC in Oregon. I pray that you will convict us all to follow you and to give our lives to this extraordinary mission to give glory to your name and your name alone and that many can come to know you, your salvation, and your love. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus, Son of God. Amen. God bless you.
And until the next time.